Welcome to Beyond the BEO, an event planner's podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Doerr Nicholson. This episode is brought to you by The Right Stuff Agency, a digital marketing agency making your business sound as good as it looks. And GateCheck, a new subscription box made for travel lovers. Use the code BEO discount to get $5 off your subscription. Are you enjoying Beyond the BEO? Share this podcast with others in the industry and rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to episode eight. This week, my guest is Will Curry, the founder of Endless Events and the host of event industry podcasts, including Hashtag Event Icons, Event Brew, and Event Tech Podcast. Will is an expert in making events less complex and reducing stress in the event planning process. Now producing events across the country for clients like Emerald City Comic Con, Anheuser-Busch, Warner Brothers, Morton and Salt, and Uber. Will will fit more knowledge bombs into an hour presentation than most will have in a three-day seminar. And I think you'll agree that there are a lot of ideas that come out of our conversation about what's next in the future of hybrid events, in-person events, and virtual events. Let's get into it. Welcome, Will. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I thought we should just get started with allowing you to introduce yourself, if you can let us know how you got involved in the industry and what your experience has been in the events industry. Ooh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. And yeah, excited. Hello, all listeners out there in the interwebs. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What got me into the events industry and all that fun stuff? So yeah, Will Curran, <laughs> Chief Event Einstein of Endless Events. I actually started Endless Events when I was 17 in high school and started as a DJ, DJing backyard parties. Eventually, as all DJs do, you get involved in the production and the lights and the sound and the staging because it all sounds really cool. So I started getting involved with that and realizing that was really where the value my clients were seeing in our events and kind of the cool experiences that we were designing. So I started learning more and more about production and eventually realized, you know, DJs don't get paid as much money as giant production companies. So, hey, let's start focusing on the production aspect and, you know, again, where the value was. So we focused on production for many, many years, um, started growing nationwide, went remote, all that fun stuff, you know, started doing content marketing, which is really where we've grown to have such a large name as, you know, like I think we're the third highest trafficked website in the events industry now. And, you know, really focused on production for a while. And then what we realized is through kind of the pandemic and kind of the last few years of us creating content is that clients started asking us for more than just production, looking for every aspect of the event and, you know, really looking to the strategy that our company provides to be able to create unique, awesome experiences that are also technologically advanced. And so, you know, over the course of basically the last, you know, three, four years, we've been expanding our services more and more to the point where now we're a full scale event management company. So basically we're managing every aspect of an event from a BEO all the way up to, you know, the, the, the strategy behind it to the technology and what platform you're using to, you know, even the stuff that you, I started doing way back in the day, which is, you know, managing the technologies as well. So that's kind of a long story short of it. I'm sure there's an event icons episode where I tell the full, you know, all the mess ups and things along the way on the story, but you know, humble beginnings back in high school. And this is basically what I've been doing my entire life now. So that was, you know, 15 years ago was when I started the company. So pretty much I'm an event industry lifer. <laughs> that, that's great because I am too. I first yes. fell in love. So I didn't start a company in high school, but I was on prom committee and oh, I yeah. was obsessed. I was the treasurer of prom committee and oh, it yeah. was what made me realize that I loved events. And that is 
where the seed was planted and, you know, took a couple of years to figure out, oh, corporate events. That's the thing Ooh, I want to do. Yes, 100%. <laughs> but I think it definitely, you know, once, I always joke, once an event planner, always an event planner. But I think it's true. <laughs> I think it starts earlier than we ever realized, right? We're the ones that are organizing people totally. and the ones making sure our friends show up to things. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get that, like that fix, you know, that adrenaline rush that, you know, the, the, the detail oriented, like it's just so unique and there's, there's not many things that quite tickle the fancy. I think that as we all know. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I, I can definitely feel that over the last couple of years, getting back to in-person events has been, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is what I've been missing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So you mentioned technology, and I know that you are known for technology. <laughs> you are the expert, the guy that knows what's going on with virtual and hybrid events. And so, I mean, there's so many questions to get into with that. For sure. But I think, you know, just starting out, when I think as we come out of the last two years and into whatever the next couple of years look like, how can planners really know when should an event be virtual? When should it be hybrid? Or when should you not do one thing over another? I think there's a lot of changes and expectations that, oh, well, we can make everything virtual now, but that doesn't really fit every event. So like, how would you guide planners trying to make that decision or trying to tell you know their stakeholders yeah that, that's not going to work the way we think it is <laughs> well i'll give the the unsexy answer at first which is you know you got to know your your audience your attendees and your stakeholders right like mainly you need to know your attendees because you're working for them and what they're going to want so you know virtual might work really well for them hybrid might work really well for them or they might be purely in person but really I could, there's not a one size fit all. And the only way you can get this is by having conversations with your attendees, really knowing them in and out. Uh, and, you know, building out, for example, attendee personas is really necessary on there. So that's the, like the unsexy, like start with strategy, start with like your attendees first. But if I were to give like more kind of timely thought processes and, you know, potentially dangerous advice that without knowing your attendee personas is that, you know, it, we're definitely seeing a decline in purely virtual events, right? Like people are feeling a little bit of fatigue of having to sit on webinars and being online. But what you're not seeing a, a decline in is how people consume content virtually. So what you're seeing is that Netflix is still crushing it. Disney Plus is thriving more than ever, right? So people love consuming content at their homes and, and not necessarily necessarily being at, a, you know, having to be at a movie theater, for example, right? Like you look at how hard it's been for AMC to bounce back after the pandemic. So I think that's one important thing to kind of keep in mind is that people are wanting to consume content on, on virtually and that you have to keep in mind, especially if your, you know, your conference or your corporate meeting is about content. It's going to be really hard if it's only about content to really get someone to get off the couch. So that's one thing I think to keep in mind. And we are seeing that slow decline. However, I also see this other trend too, right? We talk about diversity, equity, inclusion of events for so long. It's such a big, you know, trend and it's a necessary part of events. But when we think about it, when we take away a virtual aspect, let's say you go just purely in person, you are definitely losing out on the ability to be truly purely inclusive, right? You know, I always use a story that there's an event that I was planning and they went hundred percent virtual. And it was an event that I, you know, volunteered. It's like my one little sweetheart child event that I still volunteer and do my time for free. And it was like a, a global retreat slash kind of conference event. And we ended up going virtual and doing it, you know, completely virtually. And this attendee emailed us and said, Hey, thanks so much for planning the event and doing it virtually. We're like, yeah, totally. You know, we're expecting them to say, yeah, it's great to get to reconnect with everybody. And blah, blah, blah. And they're like, I've never been able to attend the, our events called the summit. And 
we were like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Maybe because it was expensive. Maybe it was because, you know, they just timing wasn't right. You know, all the things we kind of thought jumped to. And they said, no, it's because I'm in a wheelchair. And our event had always been like in these crate, like we did it on an island in Croatia. We did it in the Panama jungle, like these random locations. And I never thought about the fact for an attendee that that person never got to experience our event ever because, and that virtual enabled them to be able to get the same level of experience that they would never have been able to get. So I think that's really where, where hybrid and in-person events really start to see this, like the ability includes a hybrid element really allows you to truly open this up for more people. And, you know, as event planners, we're really trying to make our events more inclusive and diverse. This is such a great example of how we can do it. Right. And that's just one sing, uh, like kind of obvious example. Right. But we can, you can probably mind can start to jump to things that you can think about in terms of like, yeah, what if someone can't afford to attend? What if someone, you know, is a busy mom who has to balance multiple things at once? So I really think that the that hybrid is the future because it allows us to open the gates to another audience that might not have been able to come. And especially, you know, for years we've been arguing about how people are always worried about live streaming their events. Is it going to cannibalize my ticket sales? And every single report that's ever come out has said, you know, it's impossible for you to cannibalize your own ticket sales with virtual. In fact, it always sells more tickets to your in-person event than it did before. So um, I think that's really where the, when it comes to virtual is that first know your attendees and yes, it is a lot harder to do, right? Content is really the, the, the king when it comes to virtual events and networking and in-person interaction is hard virtually. But, you know, if you want to start making it where your event really can include everybody, I think you got to do hybrid all day long. I think that's uh, so true, right? There's a number of reasons, like you mentioned, on why people would not be able to attend or just not, you know, maybe it wasn't the highest priority, maybe something else took precedence, but mm. knowing that they can watch the content later, they're going to, you know, tap into what they're looking for. And I know that one way that we used virtual events in a previous role is we we would take the content and then make it into bite-sized pieces. Oh, so, so 10 good. minutes, you know, then that way per a person can come on and say, you know, I wasn't able to attend the whole session, but this is the thing I really cared about. And it was just as well for us because we were a marketing department. They still saw the content that was relevant to them that they needed without having to say, oh, I need to take three hours out of my day to <laughs> to participate in this. So I think I think it's true. Like if it's a content heavier event, then you can kind of get away with the uh, more being virtual or the hybrid becomes a little bit easier because people can kind of consume it the way they need to or want to. Whereas the networking, I think, is it it works, but it's it's kind it's of hard. it's a different yeah, it's hard. And like you said, people are burnt out of a lot of zoom meetings. You know, I know for myself, like if something like if it's a virtual like coffee chat with friends, and there's more than like four people like I just get like, there's too much going on. There's no totally. like, I can at least attend when it's like, okay, there's an agenda. And this is what we're talking about. Or there's breakout rooms with small groups of people. But anything bigger than that, like, it's just either madness or nothing. <laughs> So. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah, it's 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 because yeah, a lot of times when you're in those large group conversations, right? Like it's easy to just be like, okay, I'm not being talked to. I don't have anything to talk about. You know, like you know, unless it's like so engaging of a conversation where it's like, oh, you're listening on the fly on the walls like a podcast. Like it, it it is really really hard. And like and and that's not even factoring in the idea of like how do you manage you know getting people 
virtually to attend with in-person attendees? How do you, you know, how do you convince virtual attendees to, to kind of chat with each other? And I, I think that we, we've come up with some solutions on how to do this, but it, it, there's a long way to go, I think. And that, like you said, it, the, the burnout factor doesn't help anything at all. For sure. And that might change as we go between, you know, some things going back in person, maybe people will feel a little less of that burnout because, you know, you're not spending all day every day on on video conferencing. So maybe it'll start to <laughs> feel novel again. Maybe we'll burn out of in person and go back to all virtual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think there is like, if I if I can jump in with like another random topic that's on top of people's minds is like, that's really where the power of community and the community 365 model really is like shows itself in so many ways. Like the build, like, it's awkward to network if you're like, hey, you have three days, you have to meet with each other. And this is the three days you have to talk to each other. Other. But like all the time, we are constantly in Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, on in Slack communities, you know, and you know, bumping, getting email introduced from other people. And like the idea of networking online is like not new and not, actually can work really efficiently. But the problem is, is when you try to like or shove it into three days of a virtual conference. It's awkward and it, you know, you're, there's so much happening and oh, there's so much content to uh, enjoy. But like, imagine it's just, hey, you do all your networking and, it, you know, conversations and your, 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 your introductions and all that happens like year round as part of like what you would normally do as a normal life. And it just happens to happen within that community. Like, ah, oh, I think that's, that's really, I think where the future is and how, we can fix this problem that is, you know, how do we make networking, you know, within a three-day virtual conference not awkward? <laughs> well, and I think you're right. Like, I think that when you try and put it into a virtual setting without trying to change the way that we do it, you know, I think that if you're like, well, normally we're all in a big room and so now we'll all be mm. in a big room and maybe we'll do breakouts <laughs> so that we, you know, have smaller conversations like you would in a room but you, yeah. if you're not rethinking the setup of it, you're right. It's either overwhelming or just not an effective use of time. Or, you know, I've, I've gone to some virtually where it's like, I don't know what's happening. And then you, I think you also have a shorter buy-in time for a virtual event, mm -hmm. right? You know, mm -hmm. if, if you go to an in-person event and, you know, the, the food's not out yet, you're like, okay, well, I'll give it a couple minutes. <laughs> you know, you, yeah, you yeah, have totally. a little bit more patience, but virtually, like, people if you're not bought in in 10 seconds like they're like i never mind i'm just not gonna come and i totally. think you also mentioned too like with the agendas and the way that we present that information i think that we're there's still a ways to go in perfecting how we present agendas to people virtually and how they move throughout virtual conferences that normally on site, you just would say where am i supposed to go next like what am i supposed to do next whereas totally. <laughs> virtually like sometimes like I went to one and I think they had like 14 talk tracks going and I'm like, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. Or what I'm <laughs> totally, totally. And it, like, and then it's difficult too, because if, you know, it depending on what platform you choose or technology you use it, you know, it, it, when you're an in-person, you kind of can follow the crowd or you can just be like, you can walk around and be like, Ooh, what's going on over here? Like virtual, like, you, oh, sure. You can click through and doing that. But like a lot of times too, like you might come in halfway through a talk or, you know, it just becomes really awkward, like you said. And, you know, if you could find a way to, you you know, for example, some platforms do it where they can push you immediately to the next session. Sometimes that's nice, right? It's kind of like the like Netflix, are you still watching? Do you right. like it? Like kind of like thing. What are, where am I supposed to be next instead of totally. having to go dig through the agenda and wait, which which link is the right one? And, and you know, figuring out, like I said, 14 talk tracks. And I was like, 
how am I supposed to know where I'm going? How do I go back to find where I'm supposed to be in between sessions? Like, it's just too much. Like, it's not a great user experience. And I think like, you know, that user experience design is still kind of catching up to the virtual event experience. It's true. It's true. It's it's funny too because like these are all not like like <laughs> novel problems that de- like didn't exist before the you know the events industry went virtual. Like all these, yeah, like you said, user experience. Like that's a whole like design area of 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 websites and and technologies online. Like literally, some people's jobs are like Amazon. Their job is user experience about the buy now button. I actually had a friend who literally yeah. his sole job was to like optimize that experience. Like I think sometimes we don't think about that idea that like things can be optimized so much in that way to create it in an easier way but like also too like sometimes you know i think sometimes we we end up just like you said fitting things into the traditional box of like oh we did it in person we're gonna do it this way virtually but in reality you might need to put more care and effort into it so for example like designing your tracks you might have called it like track one track two track three track four and that might have worked okay because people just like were really good about naturally flowing in it didn't matter as much but for you you the good point of like we need to be able to also make it easier for people to navigate. So that's where maybe being more intentional about how you're theming your tracks or maybe even naming them, right? For example, if, if you're running a marketing conference, hey, like let's do a track on demand generation and social media. We'll do a track on content marketing. We'll do a, a track on, you know, uh, a, a community management, right? Like whatever it is and like naming them those tracks and then theming them together also makes it easier for people to pick what bucket they sit in, right? And then follow along that bucket much easier and make making that, I think, a little bit of a simpler process. Yeah, that's that's so true. We, we talked a little bit about, you know, the hybrid experience and, and the virtual and in-person and how that all works together. I haven't really, you know, in the past couple of years attended a true hybrid event. It's either yeah. been virtual or in-person. I know that they're happening. It just hasn't been really my experience. But I know that there's a challenge between you know, tying it together. So like, how do you tie together a remote experience and an in-person experience so that they still feel like the same event? Everyone's still getting, you know, value, you know, nobody's being forgotten about, Mm -hmm. you know, what are some of the considerations that people need to be thinking about? Or what have you seen that's worked really well to, to bridge that gap? Oh my gosh, there's like a bazillion different tactics to go on this. So I'll try to see how many I can cover as quickly as possible. I'll start with engagement, right? Like I'm doing a webinar later on, on later today, actually on hybrid event audience engagement and talks a little bit about it. But the thing I'm going to talk a lot about is it starts with designing good content. It's lame, right? Like I, I sometimes feel like I'm like, man, I need to like have some novel new ideas can blow people's minds, right? Everyone's always looking for that silver bullet of the app that's going to create more engagement. But a lot of this is stuff that we know and we just need to follow through on and one is like just have better content right like talk about like how you can make a virtual attendee feel bored just give them crappy content right give them a crappy and then talk about delivery of content and the speaker that they have if they're unengaging and not exciting and you know things like that right like they're going to start to tune off but you to really do this right you need to go further and that's about getting speakers, for example, who can make eye contact with the camera when it's recording them. The person who knows how to hold in their iPhone with the chat in their hand while they're presenting, while they're not only making eye contact with the attendees, making eye contact with the ca- cameras, and then giving shout outs to me like, John Smith, you're awesome. Thanks so much for the comment in the chat. Oh, hey, by the way, everybody in the room, I need you to chat also with these attendees, right? Like that's hard. Like we're basically reaching like almost like an insane level of of emceeing abilities and ability to present but to do it right you need that and so i think what it does is it begs the question of you know 
do I do it right or do I do it at all, right? And I think in a lot of ways that we could say no to more of our content that we're sharing because the speakers aren't good, they're not engaging, and they don't know how to engage truly at a hybrid event. I think people would rather go and have one or two or three sessions in a day that were just phenomenal, like amazing, that engaged virtually and in person at the same time than to go to there's 200 sessions and 90% of them are mediocre. And that might be an exaggeration. Let's say they're 50% of them are mediocre. But I think that's one thing that you have to really think about when it comes to, to designing and bringing that experience together is starting with the content, how the content is delivered. I think another tip that I give a lot of people with bringing it together is that looking at your technology stack and not finding finding ways to not exclude and separate your audiences. Like there's so I remember at the beginning of hybrid, <laughs> everyone was like, yeah, so I have my virtual platform. It worked great for my virtual. And you know what? Oh, and I still have XYZ platform I'm using for you know, in person and we'll just use each of those individually. And I'm like, no bad decision, keeping them separate, put them on the same plane, right? You wouldn't like say to somebody like, Hey, let's do a networking room, except for you get put in this networking room and you get put in this networking room. What if they want to talk to each other? What if they want to meet each other, right? Put them all in the same room. You know, we're talking about obviously big rooms are probably bad networking opportunities, but you know, I think you guys are getting it with the analogy. So I think that's one thing to think about on your technology stack is put people on the same technologies that they can utilize. The second thing I think when it comes to um, thinking about it is that you have to be really, really intentional with how you're designing it. D if you are planning on just doing exactly what you did in person and tacking on a live stream or tacking on a virtual component or something like that, it's going to feel tacked on. But when you come in and say, I'm really going to intentionally redesign this entire event, that's how you're really going to get that blurring between the lines of hybrid and in-person. Um, and let me try to give something really fresh and, and, and new and maybe controversial to along those lines when it comes to hybrid is that you also just need to be prepared that it's going to take twice as much time. It's going to cost you twice as much money, right? Like there, there's been at the beginning payment, everyone's like, well, is it hybrid? Is it only half more expensive or whatever it may be? It's like, no, if you want to do this the right way, like just prepare more budget. And I think that again, to go back to just doing the same thing you did in the past, I see so many people just saying, okay, my in-person budget. Oh man, how am I going to fit in this hybrid element? It's like, well, you either got to cut your budget in half that you were spending for your in-person and then dedicate the other half towards the, the virtual component, or you need to you know, severely think about redesigning your entire event because so many people are just trying to like tack on virtual. And so many people are just trying to do what happened in 2019 and just do the same thing because it's easy, right? But like, if you want to create a truly extraordinary event, it's not going to be easy. It's, at least that's what my like Peloton instructors always tell me. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. So I think that's just something you got to keep in mind when it comes to that. So, and then if I'll give one last like blurring line edge when it comes to, to hybrid and in-person is create like unique opportunities that are individually designed, right? Sometimes it's easy for us to just blanket it with like, I can say advice, like put everybody on the same platform that will increase engagement between the two. I can say things like, yeah, just improve your content, right? These are all kind of like general band-aids you can do to your event. But it's also about creating small, unique experiences that you have to creatively think about how it's going to work together. So for example, finding ways that you can get your in-person attendees to reach out and actually communicate and message and add friends and send messages to those virtual attendees. It's about creating these unique moments where when you the speaker gets on the stage and says like, how's my virtual audience? You can bring them up on stage and they all scream virtually on screen or something like that, right? Like these like little small moments, that's what an event is really all about. It's a lot of little small moments strung together 
that then creates this overall feeling and experience that you end up having. And I think that's really, we have to go back to that same thinking when it comes to our events is how do we create these unique small moments that are going to wow our attendees? For sure. I mean, you gave so many good nuggets there. And I think, you know, going back to even your first one about content being king. And I think one thing that has come up a lot in the show and one of the things that I've really been focused on in the last little while with events is is having a clear purpose. And mm-hmm. so what is that content doing? Like, what do we want people to do, act, feel, or say at the end of this conference? And I think so many times we, you know, start planning a conference because it's time for the annual conference, but <laughs> without kind of revisiting that question, that was probably really clear. And so I think if you're content is not supporting that idea, then whether you do it virtually or in person or hybrid, it's not really going to matter. And I think too, you know, you mentioned kind of the like speakers. I mean, we we did have a guest, you know, talking about speaker management specifically, because that is a whole thing of doing it in person and doing it virtually are two different beasts. And those mm-hmm. require either a speaker who knows how to do both or two different speakers. And it yeah. just is understanding that things don't always, it's not a copy paste, right? Mm-hmm. It, it sometimes requires either having a virtual MC or, you know, having an MC that knows how to manage both. And mm-hmm. it's, it's so interesting that we think like we can still do it that way. And honestly, like the controversy around cost is we think we, for some reason, think internet is free. And maybe because it's, you know, on our phones and it's constantly around us, you know, in North America, for the most part, we think like, oh, well, you, you know, you even saw this with schools going virtual, right? Well, you know, are people still going to pay the same amount for an education that's virtual? They're not getting the same experience. Like, well, they still have to have the classrooms and have the Mm -hmm. teachers and have the professors. Like, there's so many things that we think, oh, well, we're just going to put it online and that just means like we need a strong internet connection and a good camera. And it's no, there's so <laughs> much more that we need to get into. And it does. It, I think also it takes so much more time. That's what I've learned with virtual is yeah. that everything takes longer. You know, mm-hmm. you you have a lot more design that needs to go into things, a lot more graphics support, a lot more content, a lot of written content that you're not just you're not used to having to do in an in-person event. And so I think if you think you're going to, you know, plan an event in the same amount of time with the same amount of resources, when you're really planning two events, it's you're starting, it's uh, you're already, you're setting yourself up for disaster or failure. Yeah, right. So 100%. 100%. And, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And so like, I do know that I've also heard that you are, you know, we talked about the, the box and how it all fits together but that you're really helping planners with that out of the box hybrid experience, because we know that it's going to stick with us going forward. We know Mm -hmm. that we're not getting rid of virtual, even though it may shift and change over the next little while. And who knows what it'll look like in five years, but what is that kind of experience and how are you helping planners with that? Yeah, we have this, we have this saying, I actually got it from uh, when I was at ASU, uh, Arizona State University, I had a professor, Vern Beat, and he was, I was actually lucky enough that I was already running the company. So I know what I wanted to do with my life. So I was like, I'm going to do a special events management certificate, right? So I was taking a special events management class and Vern used to have this saying where he said, don't think outside the box, you have to crush it. Right. And so like that's become like an ethos within the company. It's like, you know, not necessarily one of our core values or anything like that, but we say it's like one of the three things that makes us unique is like, 
how do we just like think differently? So for us, like when we designed our business, we're like, we're going to go remote eight years ago when people were like, if you don't have an office, you're not going to win this bid. Right. So (laughs) that was a little scary back then. So I think that's like that what you have to be thinking about when it comes to your event is like, you have to be kind of on this edge of like a little scared things aren't going to go right because you know, like, you know, was it fortune favors the bold? Like, I think you absolutely need to be that. And, you know, we talked a lot about this at the beginning of the pandemic in early 2020. It was like, this is the time to make mistakes, right? Like go for things and do just do things and don't worry. Everyone's forgiving each other because most people are just figured out how to turn on their webcam for the first time, you know? And when it comes to to now we're leaving that, you know, that, that beginning of the pandemic, everyone's like, well, everyone should know exactly how to do this perfectly. And I, I, I think that, you know, while you do have to have a little bit more polish, I don't think you can like completely screw up and everyone's gonna be like at least you tried you know like they're gonna be like oh well why did this happen you know things like that but i think right now is that if you go in bland and vanilla folder into your next event you're gonna lose your audience like right now attendees are not loyal in any sort of way right like i have not attended most of the conferences that i've used to attend i have one left that i go to right and i decided i'm hey i'm gonna go to that conference and that's gonna be the one i do Like, whereas like, you know, we have to really think like if that's happening to, you know, a lot of us and we're all feeling that way where we're like, "Ah, do I have to really go to that? Do I I really want to get on a plane? Right? Like you have to do something extraordinary to like reach those next level of people. So I think that's one first thing is like, don't be afraid to be risky and go after it. Right. I know it's scary because a lot of times like our clients have large, very large budgets for events. So they're like lots of money spent, but it's never like everything works or everything doesn't work. It's like, oh, hey, that one crazy idea you had to create a, a video camera feed with a giant LED screen that streams to the other co-location of the event. You know, oh, it didn't really quite work and no one really cared about it. When we, and we spent, you know, $10,000 doing that sort of thing. Okay, well, at least we tried it, but, you know, who knows maybe like for one person that was the most extraordinary experience to see you know the person if your events in dc and it's happening the other half is happening in barcelona you know wow i got to see the attendee in barcelona and we waved to each other for a split second i think that like that is just so incredible so that's one first thing is i think go for a little craziness other ways that I think when it comes to creativity, activity I love to do is to think about how everybody else did. Like, how would you do it and think the opposite? So I give a big shout out to the event design canvas team who like we did through an exercise when I was getting my certificate and how to do all the event design canvas workshops and stuff. I We we had to come up with an idea and my for a, for a conference, we're like rapid prototyping. And I thought to myself, let's make the unconference. And let's just do the opposite of what everyone does. So this will give you an idea of what where it is. And I, maybe at one point I'll plan this actual conference. Is that so? What what's the normal things that happen? So for example, when you go to an event, everybody gets handed a badge, and that badge basically has your name on it, your company, all those things like that. So everyone can know who each other are, right? I have an idea. Let's make it so we don't have to hand out any badges at all. Okay, that's pretty tame, right? There's a lot of events that we don't do badges for. But then I thought a little bit further. Okay, well, in a lot of events, right, we want to create true creativity and where everybody's on an equal playing field. Well, the problem is badges are first start, right? When I see that someone from Microsoft is in the session with me, I'm going to weigh their opinion a lot heavier than maybe the small startup that's coming out of Chicago. So, you know, hey, how can we make it so we aren't judging people based on the companies they work for, who they are? It's like, well, first get rid of name badges, make a rule where people can't say where they work. And then here's another crazy idea. We'll make everybody wear the exact same clothes. 
everybody gets the same t-shirt, same jeans, right? Like let's make everybody literally so equal that literally the only thing that you can, you have that differentiates you is the, the way you talk and all those things like that. Right. So like it starts to push you towards this way of like, let's think about all the crazy ideas, like the opposite. And instead of saying no, you know, and this is one of my favorite brainstorm activities is like, imagine if anything was possible, imagine you're Steve jobs and you had unlimited budget, right? You could make this all happen. That really starts to push you to Emily. And sure, you might not decide that you're going to hand out t-shirts and jeans to make everybody dress like the same throughout your conference, but then maybe it makes you question, be like, maybe we shouldn't hand out name badges, or maybe we should remove the, the company name from the name badge. So it's more about the person than it is about who they work for. And I think that really causes you to kind of go down these brainstorming activities where things kind of can get a little crazy and a little nutty. And you occasionally have crazy ideas. Like one of the ideas that we ended up coming up with was, what was it? It was something like, I was something to do with housing. And we just, and I decided one of the craziest ideas is instead of everybody, oh, is it? everybody knows where you're staying, right? Like, and you, you know where you're staying. Well, we want to create this like anticipation and almost like fear and adrenaline rush. And we're like, we're not going to tell anybody where they're sleeping until they have to go to bed. Right. And so it's like the idea that they're like, well, where am I going to stay? Am I going to be in the nice like suite or am I going to be on the floor? You know, it, you know, it, it causes you sometimes to have really ridiculous ideas. Like we would probably never do that, but it causes you sometimes to think of other, you know, creative ideas that are a little bit more tame. So that's, uh, I think the ideas is first, you know, start with just not even looking at the box, just crush it. Start with something completely new um, and then don't hesitate to you know push the envelope and then start to think about the opposite of what you want to do. And then sometimes that will get you to ideas that aren't necessarily complete opposite, but are somewhere in the in between. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, you know, one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld is the opposite because it is oh, so yeah, funny yeah. to see how differently his life turns <laughs> out when he goes opposite. And and maybe you don't want everyone dressing the same and you know, having a weird summer camp, like don't know where you're sleeping <laughs> kind of vibe. But I get what you mean of like thinking, okay, what what is the wackiest thing we can do? And probably oh, somewhere man. along the norm and the wackiest thing is a new idea that will bring fun to uh, fun to the event or a different perspective yeah. or a different experience and things like that. So I got a good one and this actually relates to, to BEOs. So I, I think I can tie in the, the top, the, the title of the podcast a little Perfect. bit more, but I don't remember if it came from that same exercise, but I was thinking about this a little bit more and I'm, I'm sure I'm about to get a ton of, I haven't gotten actually in death threats for this one yet. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, but you know, I was thinking about everybody's coming back from hybrid and everybody's worried about where am I going to get this budget from? And you know, I'm, I have to increase my production budgets and this and this and that. And I thought to myself, I was like, you know, whenever I go to a conference, I don't remember really the last time that I ate the food the conference provided, right? A lot of times what I like to do is try to find like a cool local restaurant nearby. And then if I'm going to have them, you know, you and I are going to go get lunch. I'll be like, hey, let's go over there instead. Instead of like, let's eat the, you know, the, the food that's provided. Let's get off site. Let's enjoy it. And I think this is a but partially two different things coming in factor a i like to experience lots of different types of foods but also too like i think it's a cool way to also support the community around you right like whenever we talk about like heads and beds and all the taxes that come with it like a lot of it's the how much people get exposed to these other cities that they've never been to like i remember you know when i was in louisville i was like I knew nothing about Louisville. And then because I went to a restaurant, I got to try hot brown and it wasn't, you know, they never served this at the conference. I got to experience like a iconic food that was in Louisville that like I never experienced before. So I'm thinking to myself like, okay, if I want to be offsite and I want to eat all this food, I'm like, well, here's a crazy idea. And this is where I'm going to get a death threat. Instead of spending, you know, let's say if you have a very large conference, $200,000 on catering 
which um, obviously allows you to get your venue for, you know, cheaper costs and sometimes allows you to get discounts in other areas. You know, and all my hotel people are like, well, there's more than just the catering in there. But I think to myself, like, what if you could take that quarter million dollars and instead eliminate it? And this is an extreme case of eliminate or cut in half, whatever it is. Take that money and put it back into something else, like your hybrid networking experience, your production value, or hiring that speaker who actually can engage with the in virtual and in person at the same time. And instead saying to everybody, let's lengthen the lunch hour. Instead of making it an hour, let's make it two and a half hours or three hours and, and encourage people and say, here's a list of the 20 closest restaurants. Go at it. And I don't know many attendees who would be like, rawr, 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 I usually got fed this, you know, $20 meal and it was okay, you know, and everything like, no, no, shit, well, no, someone will complain because someone will always complain. But yeah. Someone always complains. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, true. Someone does always complain, but like, think to yourself, like, what if you instead allows the taste to then disperse and go enjoy the city that they're in, right? You could, and I think that I was at a conference and I shared this idea and the guy came up to me, he's like, I work for a hotel. And I was like, oh God, this is it. This is the death threat. I'm going to die. Brant, I was like, I was with Brant at the time. I was like, Brant, please save me. And he goes, I love that idea. And I work inside of a hotel. I'm the guy who makes the money off of the, the, doing that. He's like, you know what I would do? I was, I would talk to all the restaurants and I would say to them, Hey, we're going to send you a thousand attendees across all these restaurants. He, you know, here's a, they're going to hand you a coupon. Can you guys give us $5, $10 back on every person that comes in off of it? Right. And now you're like finding a way to monetize that. And most restaurants would die for that. They're like, Oh my gosh, how could I get, you know, completely fill out my restaurant, you know, in a, a single day, that'd be incredible. Right. So like, I think these are the creative ideas that really push us to say like, why am I coming back? You talked about copy and paste. So many people are like, I'm going to copy and paste my catering order from one hotel to the other. And rather than being like, why do you even need catering? Right. And obviously like it, there's different situations and all those things like that. But like, I think that's the kind of creativity and innovation that's needed inside of events right now. When people are saying, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough budget. It's like, well, then something's got to change. And I think that these kind of opportunities and at least questions and ideas to share can potentially change things up a little bit. For sure. Well, I mean, I think we'll end on controversy because that's because <laughs> we're getting up to time. But this has been so insightful, so like exciting to think about just different ways of doing things because you're right. Like we are now, we're now at a time where, you know, if you haven't over the last two years been thinking about the ways things are going to be different, then, you know, you're probably kind of stuck in a bit of a, an event rut. So I think it is really important to think about how we're going to go forward, what's going to change, what we're going to keep because we love and, you know, you know, keeping the elements that we love because we love them and not keeping them just because it's the way that we've always done things. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for being on the show. I want to end with just letting you, having you tell us where people can find more about you, more about endless events and uh, where you hang out on the internet. Totally. Yeah. If anyone needs help with their events or you like kind of the, the way things are, or you just want to learn more about, you know, crazy top technologies and trends affecting the industry, you can head over to helloendless.com. We publish blogs every single day that are like book length and size. And we also do webinars regularly. We have three podcasts as well. So if you love content, go check out helloendless.com. Um, we'd love to, to, to help you out in any sort of way. If you want to reach out to me, I'm, I, it's really easy. I'm Will Curran, C-U-R-R-A-N. I'm really easy to find the internet. And if you head to willcurran.com, I have a bunch of my social links, but I'm on every social platform you want. LinkedIn's probably my big main one as well. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of everywhere, but you know, definitely come enjoy the content at helloendless.com and come reach out 
out to me and I'll look forward to hopefully meeting you virtually very soon. Perfect. Thanks so much for being on the show. Take care. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. Follow us on social media and share your thoughts on this week's episode. This episode was brought to you by The Right Stuff Agency and GateCheck. Don't forget, Beyond the BEO is a preferred provider of CMP clock hours. Complete the quiz in the show notes to receive your certificate. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and keep an eye out for our next episode in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Until next time.